Crimes While Caffeinated contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, Abby. Hi, Marissa. Um, <laughs> do you want to start us off, I guess? Uh, absolutely. Hello and welcome to Crimes While Caffeinated. I am Abby, one of your co-hosts. And I am Marissa, your other co-host, who is talking on her new microphone, and I hope I sound better. It's thrilling. I'm I'm thriving. Yes. Marissa got a big fancy podcaster microphone, so we are so excited. Everybody say yay, Marissa. Yay, Marissa. (laughs) As I talk in third person. Um, what are you drinking today? And then we will get into some personal updates and laughter, and then we will dive into murder. (laughs) Some laughter and love, and then, uh, and then some murder. Happy Galentine's Day, by the way. Happy Galentine's Day. We're recording on February 13th. Are you having any, do you have any Galentine's plans? Um, no, not really. Um, I do plan on working out. So I'm currently wearing a new workout outfit that I bought yesterday too, because, uh, I'm trying to get myself to work out every single day. And I have this like little thing on my wall, um, to every time I work out, I check off a box. And after I've worked out five times, I can reward myself by buying a new workout bra or shirt or leggings. Um, oh, so I, yeah, so um, I bought myself a new sports bra um, so that my boobs stay in place. Nice. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, so not really much for today, but tomorrow I'm going to go and see my sister um, and she's my Valentine. So. Aww, that's so sweet. Shout out to Lauren. Shout out to Lauren. Um, but what are you drinking? Oh, yes. Um, I'm drinking the usual, uh, the El Dorado coffee with white chocolate mocha creamer from Aldi. Mm-hmm. Uh, no fruity pebbles today because Ew. it was gross. Yeah. <laughs> in your big red mug in my big red mug I have busted out my I'd rather be in bed right now mug um it looks like they're the person smiling on it um (laughs) and I am drinking um I have uh targets like the target brand version it's a double chocolate coffee mm. and I have Dunkin Donuts creamer and um, sugar in it so that sounds delicious yeah it is it's pretty good um I was going to run out and grab myself a coffee from a local coffee shop um and then I woke up late and then remembered that I hadn't taken notes so <laughs> that was my uh, dedication suddenly and um so yeah I forgot that we were recording today, and and I had errands to run, so we had to go get that done. And actually, she didn't even get her hair cut yet. She's there now getting her hair cut, but we had to... We had what to, errands did you have to run? Um, we just went 
and got a couple of things. So she wanted to get a couple of Valentine's gifts for her uh, nieces and nephew. <laughs> so we went into, we got that, and then we needed some more face wash, um, and I needed some moisturizer, some face moisturizer. Ooh, treat yourself. Yes. So I went out and got some, just some skincare items that we needed. So mm. it was really nothing too exciting. And we got um, a new game for us to play. <gasps> a video um, game? No, it's a... Board game? Yes. No, kind of. It's a dice game. And we got it for, we got it um, for us to play because we like to play, like at the beginning of the pandemic, Anna bulk ordered a bunch of like card games and board games and like all different kinds of games. Um, so I thought we should get a new one for Valentine's Day uh, tomorrow. So we're going to play it. We're going to play it probably tonight or tomorrow. See, honestly, I think that that was everybody's go-to for when we ran out of things to watch on like Netflix and Hulu and Prime and all that. Um, but I really wish that I lived with somebody. Otherwise, I would be playing board games all the time. I love board games. Uh, but um, it's funny because Becca and her boyfriend, um, they travel all the time. And you know, like Becca's a big minimalist. Mm-hmm. But she has just about or a goal of owning every ticket to ride that is offered she has one that she got from Finland that's not even has instructions in English. Like that's how much they love this freaking game. And it doesn't make much sense to me of how, like how much they love it, I guess, just because there's like not a lot of thought process to it. I guess that it's just one of those games that you're like, oh, I'm just going to do this and it'll be yeah. fun and blah, 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 blah. But also Becca's super competitive. So that makes sense. But I'm more of like a clue game or um, I really like Cards Against Humanity. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so games like that. But so that's super fun. Um, I love that for you. Thank um, you. Yeah, we try to do um, like at least push aside a block of time, you know, uh, mm-hmm. every, every so often where we are technology free or uh, at least we're just doing something that's the two of us for like, uh, that's like couple or like, I don't know, not bonding, but like, you know, yeah. time to together, quality yeah. time. Quality um, time. Yeah, so we, we will play, like we play Uno a lot. Um, last night we did, uh, Anna downloaded like a, some question app on her phone that was like questions for couples to ask each other and so we were like going through and just talking about different things that was nice see that's super funny because I was just having the conversation with Erica my friend from work um about like weird facts that we didn't know about each other and I was actually going to ask you like weird facts that I didn't know about you um just like as like a funny like off the cusp because we realized like like Erica revealed to me that she has never held a baby sad and I was like oh my god and then I said I've never peed in a body of water oh okay like I will not pee in the pool or the ocean or any of any of that I will find a public restroom 
like that is just I don't know why I don't know if it's because I just don't like the idea of swimming in my own pee let alone the fact like that I'm completely ignoring that I'm swimming in everybody else's pee (laughs) but I can't do it I don't know why it's just I don't know um let me think if there's something I genuinely don't know I feel like you know just about every single thing there is to know about me this is very difficult well what one of the questions was like um what superpower would you not want I honestly would not want to read minds because it would stress me out knowing exactly that's what I said to Erica and Erica was like I wouldn't want to fly and I was like why wouldn't you want to fly and she's like oh I'd rather teleport and like that would be my choice I just teleport somewhere and I'm like yeah but like I'm envisioning like for an example like okay yes I understand that if you don't enjoy the views that you would see um but I'm like okay yeah I could teleport to the cliffs of more but like why not fly and see what everyone else can't see because they're on the ground you know yeah yeah that's just my mentality but I thought that some of that was like funny or um which I think I've asked you this before. I, I think I know what the answer is, but what is a, what is like the weirdest conspiracy theory you believe in? Mm. The weirdest conspiracy, well, like, I mean. Well, not, we- well, not weirdest, but I guess like, what is the, like, what is one conspiracy theory that you're absolutely positive of? Uh, I pretty firmly believe that Area 51 is dedicated to uh, discovering alien life. And that's why they're so secretive about it, because they Mm. don't want you to know. Mm. Mm. I do kind of think, like, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if I necessarily believe it, but I wouldn't be surprised if JFK was killed by the government or if there was a second shooter true true like that episode of bones where they have to yeah (laughs) that's exactly what I think of every time I think of it is I think of like booth like pulling out the gun and he's like oh my god there was a second shooter (laughs) you're like oh okay bones (laughs) um and then one last one was um if you could change one or no oh my god one of them was like if you could change one moment in history what would it be or it was like if you could bankrupt someone right now a company or a country who would it be elon musk he doesn't deserve his money <laughs> See, and that's exact. erica was like uh jeff bezos immediately <laughs> Like without a without a thought, just immediately Jeff Bezos, and I was like, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk—they don't deserve their their wealth. Well, my problem is, is I'm like, okay, if we bankrupt them, then I would there's just gonna be somebody else. Like, yeah, like redistribute the money. I would redistribute their wealth to uh actual because because like you know Jeff Bezos basically has enough money to solve a lot of the world's problems so yeah yeah so I would redistribute all his money to uh yeah to to I would Robin Hood him uh, so not not like the app because that has has its own problems right now 
True. Actually, Anna did invest uh, like 20. No, she invested $10 and then they give her free stock. Mm-hmm. And then uh, so she had like $16 worth of stocks and now she has like 22. Yay! Yeah. I, uh, I use I use Acorn, so I don't even know what I have stocks in. I just like, it's just like large companies, small companies, and then um, it says like government bonds and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. um, but I got, got like a good chunk of money in there. I'm just using that as my retirement right now, I guess. I'm just trying to be responsible and leave it to the side. Good for you. Thanks. Yes. Um, Anna doesn't, I mean, Anna and I don't fully understand the stock market. So like, she's just doing it because like, she's doing it because she was like, everybody's making a lot of money off of this. So if I want to do it and I was like, well, it's not just, it's not like you can't just put a, like put all your money. You're trying to see if she came back. Yeah. I can't tell if that was her or the guinea pigs. Anna? Oh, okay. I'm coming. Hold on. <laughs> She's here. Okay. I I'm I was gonna say I'm pretty sure it's not the guinea pigs, and now it's just me. And so I will just sit here and um, talk. I guess. Um, what do I have to say? That's my baby. It's so fresh. <laughs> I'm just listening to Abby talk. So we we just heard everything you just said. That's okay. No, but it was cute. Like, like there's my baby looking so fresh. Yeah. She looks so cute. She just got back from her haircut. And did you get uh did you go to the ATM? Okay, so yeah. Just her personal um, errands. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. Oh, I was talking about, I was talking about your stocks. About the money that I'm not winning. About <laughs> the money that you're not winning. <laughs> yeah, she is. Uh, so yeah, we like, we, she is okay. doing it. <laughs> Anna is investing her money with very little background knowledge of the stock market. So it's going, it's going well. Oh, um, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it's going really well. Just, yeah. just tell me that you didn't put money in AMC. No, she didn't put money in AMC. We put money in a, she put money in a cryptocurrency. Um, and <laughs> yes, a, a medical marijuana uh, company and some like technology companies like one mm. medical technology company and something else i don't remember hmm, nice yeah well before you jumped on i was doing some research and by research i mean i was watching a thing that was so there's this youtube channel called the take and they do like the take on movie tropes and stuff um And one of them that I was watching this morning was on the bimbo and like the meaning of the word and then how people are trying to bring bimbo back on TikTok and like make it a more positive word, um, which I thought was really interesting. But then one of the other ones I was watching was about uh, love addicts. And um, then all of a sudden me knowing 
but like having deeper realization of the fact that I'm in love with the idea of love um, and thus I sabotage myself. Um, Hold on one second. Okay. Put your finger on your thumb, what? Uh, yeah, we're recording, why? It's okay, no, 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 you're, you're, you're good, you're good. You're, you're not in the view. <laughs> she, she's naked, she's going to go take a shower. <laughs> okay, she well, I home. mean, you get she the little hairs. Gets... No, well, I mean, you get the little hair stuck to the back of your neck and stuff. Nothing's no, better I... than taking a shower after you've just gotten a haircut, so, but. She always has to take a shower as soon as she gets home, because she has the, the little, because her hair's short, too, so it's like mm -hmm. the little, little guys. Little, little things. Um, but yeah, so I realized, um, having never watched Sex in the City, that I am a Charlotte. I would agree with that. I would, I would, I would agree with that. Yes, I feel Just, like I also am a Charlotte. Um, no, but you, you are more. I don't know any of the Sex in the City other than Charlotte, I guess, and then the. Well, actually, I'm not. I'm not Samantha. like. I'm not pure enough to be a Charlotte. Charlotte's. <laughs> You're saying I'm pure. You're so pure, yes. Um, you no, no, but I'm saying like the. I like don't know the, the style. I guess the style yeah. of romance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I would was be gonna say like. Oh, okay. Um. I mean, you you're somebody who like when you get into a relationship like you're all in mm -hmm. and I'm like I definitely do think that even though I want to be in a relationship I have commitment issues um um but uh I don't know it was just really interesting like watching it and being like oh my god why why are they why are they talking about me like this <laughs> like I'm feeling personally attacked and triggered um but yeah it was uh it was pretty funny and then of course I'm watching it and I'm like these they're showing all of the scenes from my favorite movies and tv shows that I most relate to character wise and I'm like just confirmation that it's me oh well there you go <laughs> yeah okay as I said here for like another valentine's day that I'm single for whatever it's pain listen listen I just I, I do I do think that I will never get to the point where Charlotte at least in the video says uh, I've decided that this is the year that I'm gonna get married oh to who I don't know I haven't met him yet and I'm like uh, <laughs> that I wouldn't do but um but I'm definitely up up there being like I just want to get married and have children and live my best life yeah yeah I mean I don't I think I think I would agree that your your love life is a little bit more, more Charlotte-esque. Mm. Um, but I also feel like Charlotte has like a little bit of a perfectionist. Uh, well. I was going to say, you really don't think that I'm like that? <laughs> okay. Clearly you don't know me. <laughs> I started the sentence and I was like, no, no actually that's right. That That's pretty accurate to myself. Yeah, that is uh, accurate. Um, well, because I also have a list of criteria that men must meet in my brain. There's nothing wrong with that, though. Keep those expectations nice and high. Don't yeah, lower them. No, bitch. no, no. I think that having 
um, standards is different than having like a list that you're like, if they don't perfectly meet this, like more of the fact of accepting the fact that human beings have flaws and that every relationship is not perfect. I think that that's something that like us love addicts have to realize is like, you're going to learn to love a person for like everything. And there's going to be things that you absolutely hate about them. But like, that's just the complexity of a human being and what differs us from movie tropes. So, but anyhow. <laughs> Any hoomst. Any hoomst. Um, let's get into the episode where uh, you better be using drip as your your catchphrase uh, later on in this episode. Um, because uh, as Aaron has lovely and creatively uh, envisioned a t-shirt that eventually, hopefully one day we will be able to make, but uh, don't rest in peace for uh, serial killers is uh, in a dare font is uh, our go-to Abby phrase right now. Uh, That's right. <laughs> It's up on our Instagram, the picture of it, if you want to go see it. Uh, check it out. We're caffeinated crying pod on Instagram. Yes. Um, and uh, quickly, a quick plug, since this will be the episode, um, well, the first one will be the episode, uh, first part. Someone is making burgers, and I am so hungry now. What the hell? <laughs> oh, my God. I wish you had, like, a smell cam. <laughs> It smells so good, but you're also a vegetarian, so never mind. Um, as long as they don't set off the fire alarm, I'm going to knock on wood for that. Please don't, please don't do it. Anyways, <laughs> pray to the fire alarm gods. Um, so, uh, anyways, um, we are running a contest on our Instagram page. So what we're going to be asking you guys to do is go on the Instagram page and comment or tag us in a post with three of your friends and you will be entered in to win a $25 gift card to a coffee shop of your choice as long as I can buy a gift card online. Um, <laughs> but I all of a sudden was like, you know what? why don't we support small businesses in this weird time instead of just focusing on like the big, the big uh, yeah. coffee shops. So um, big coffee, big coffee down with big coffee. Um, though we order like Dunkin' or Starbucks every time. Anywho, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, but feel free to do that. Um, again, also we always like, uh, like and subscribe and a review. Um, but yeah, so please do that. Um, and Abby, you look like you were going to say something. Oh, I was going to say, well, it can wait till later. Okay. It was, it was a, it's an idea for the podcast. It's a, it's a business idea. Not a, uh, not. Okay. A, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Once we've, yeah, we'll talk about that later. As I whisper deep into it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, anyways. <laughs> okay. So we are bringing to you this week, the second half of, um, the third and fourth episodes of the night stalker aka mr richard ramirez uh the netflix docuseries that is uh just a wild uh tale of his mm -hmm. gruesome murder very upsetting spree. murders 
Um, so though we had decided on the Ripper that we were only going to use his name once, they do use um, Richard Ramirez's name um, quite frequently throughout these episodes. So though we do want to focus on the like not glorifying him, um, it is a very important part of these two episodes to kind of talk about him and his uh, like what dramatically affected and caused him to be the way that he is so we just want to kind of make it clear that we will be using the name though of course we think that he's uh was a terrible human being and should uh don't rest in peace <laughs> so Rip Richard Ramirez drip. anyways so take it away Abby okay so uh we get back into um episode three and this is where we where we left off was when they had planted the undercover officers in the dentist's office um waiting for richard whoever his whoever he is um to come back and get his impacted tooth corrected fixed Mm -hmm. and uh so the undercover officers were in there every day for quite a while Mm -hmm. right uh at least like a, a week or two. But again, yeah. like they're just they're just sitting there waiting from like, you know, eight AM when the office opens up until the office until closes. Until they close. Yeah. So then uh some higher ups in the police force uh thought that paying people to sit around and just wait all day was a waste of time and money. Um so they decided to pull those undercover officers and replace them with a uh, robbery alarm button, similar to what they have at banks, like one of those buttons that's under the desk that you can just hit and it, and it automatically calls the police. Um, and so they installed one of those. And the day after, they removed the officers and installed that button um they get a call from the dental the the dentist saying where were you guys and they're really confused and the dentist says he was just here and we were trying to press the button but it wasn't working so they missed him by a day literally a day after they decided to take their officers out and there were, yeah, there was some kind of malfunction with the robbery button that they had installed, and it did not, um, it didn't go off when they hit the, the button, so. Yeah, um, which, of course, like, as just a watcher, you're watching it, and you're just like, are you effing kidding me? Especially yeah, it, because you're like, you know that he murders more people, so you're like, they, they could have stopped him. Um, yeah. it's incredibly frustrating. Oh, Yeah. Um, and so we jump into uh, Robin Sandoval, the Sand- grand Sandoval. Thank you. As we know, I cannot pronounce to save my life. The granddaughter of the next victims, who are Max and Layla Needing. Um, we get background on Layla and some information. Um, Sorry, I'm getting a text. Uh, (laughs) um, So we learn a little bit of background about Layla as well as Max. Like Layla loved, um, was a huge sports fan. Like she wouldn't talk to anybody if the sports, like 
her sports teams were on. And then Max always had these like really big candy bars that he would give out. Um, Robin, the granddaughter, expressed her concern for her grandparents um, and asked her grandmother to start locking the door. And the grandmother and grandfather had originally been from the Midwest. And so they had expressed that they, that's not how they wanted to live their lives. Cause like in the Midwest, when you're not living in a, like a major city, you just don't lock your doors, which Abby and I have had this conversation because Abby's family grew up in the middle of nowhere. And so they could unlock their doors and keep them unlocked versus I grew up near the city. And I think that you are absolutely crazy as a human being if you just keep your doors unlocked all the time and let people walk in. Yes. My own personal opinion. (laughs) Yes. But being from, being from like a small town where everybody kept their doors unlocked, I understand that mentality um, because it's kind of like, well, that doesn't happen to us. That doesn't, this, that kind of thing doesn't happen here. So why would we, why would we need to lock our doors? Why would we need to take these precautions? My dad drives around with you know, he leaves his keys in the ignition and his car doors unlocked when he goes to the store. And I, one, one time I asked him why he did that. Or I was like, aren't you nervous about getting your car stolen? And his response was, if they want it, they can have it. So he, (laughs) that's just kind of the mentality that people share is like, well, nobody's going to do it anyway. So why bother? Nobody's going to come in and try to rob me because that that doesn't happen around these parts. However, in the city, it does. Yeah, I was going to say my that's crazy to think of because I remember like as a small child, like around five of my mom and dad just freaking out because our only car was like stolen off the street. So, um, and then they found it later after someone had stolen it and crashed it on Christmas. So, um, (laughs) anyways, um, so we jump in to, uh, July 20th, 1985 day 125. This is kind of when we jump into the case. Um, Sorry, I'm like trying to quickly skim it. Um, we jump into the case, we hear gunshots and we see a yellow car drive away. Um, so we meet Robin's mother, um, mm-hmm. whose name is Judith, uh, needing Ar- Arnold, oh my God, um, <laughs> who is their daughter. Um, she asked to be dropped off at her parents' house when she was calling to tell them that she was gonna be a little late for church. They didn't respond and she thought that it was weird and that she got like a gut feeling. So um, she had arrived over there. And with the kids. With the kids, the yes, with the kids in the car. Um, and it looks like Richard Ramirez had snuck in through the pool entrance. Max's head was nearly decapitated and Layla's face had been shot in. Um, and their daughter is the one who found them, which um, she says like, I started screaming and my five-year-old daughter knew that something was obviously wrong, which is just devastating to think of uh, having to come across that situation in the first place. Um, But we then see a connection where the uh, 22 caliber gun is the same one that was used in the Dale Yorkshire, not Yorkshire, (laughs) Dale Yoshi Akazaki case um Shana wrong and then Sun Kid you try to say that 
Uh, Shainaram and uh, Somkid Kovanath and um, their eight-year-old son had also been attacked uh, on that same day that these that this uh, older couple was murdered. Uh, Somkid and the son had survived, but both had been sexually assaulted, and the father had been shot dead. Um, at that crime scene, they also found uh, a footprint the avia shoe or avio however you say it um so it had the exact same mo as all of the other uh night stalker killings the um executing the husband assaulting the uh wife and based on this attack they were able to create a composite sketch of the killer which they um, the police decided to go public with because this was a lot more detailed than um, other ones. It had uh, a lot more face, like f distinctive facial features that could be like recognizable potentially. So they released this and it was based on the, the most recent um, survivors as well as other, um, other victims' descriptions. And this is the one that they released to the public. Yep. Um, and so Gil was really struggling with the case and needed more evidence. There is this part, which I mean, I think that this is important just because I feel like this is a really shows a lot about Gil as a person. Um, but he's like, he feels guilty because he's like, we need more evidence. And the only way to get more evidence is for more people to die. And he's like, he has this moment where he turns to Frank and he's like, am I a bad person for wanting more people to die so that we can figure out who this person is? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's like a really hard, like moral convert and ethical conversation you have to have with yourself of like, I need, I need something in order to, um, to get this guy. Um, but that also has to be done with a sacrifice. Um, and so we get to August 6th, and this is day 142, um, meeting the, so the police departments are all meeting uh, to share information across the board so that uh, they're, you know, all on the same page. They get a call that uh, um, an attack had occurred. Two people had been attacked and shot in Northridge. Um, so it looks like that both of the, the, boyfriend and girlfriend had been shot in the head or husband and wife. I can't remember um, if they were married or not, but uh, Chris, so the female had been shot in the head and like literally it went through her head and didn't come out the other side, which I was like, holy crap, that is crazy. And then Chris Peterson, who um, is the husband, I believe in this case, he also gets shot in the head uh, but he's able to chase Ramirez out. Um, and uh, Ramirez had been listening to the news and had changed his gun. So now it's a 25 caliber automatic. Um, and the weird thing that the police realize is that he's using this ammo that has like a red primer to it on the shell um, that's no longer sold. Um, so, and then we also kind of hear a audio saying um, from Richard Ramirez's uh, writings or quoting that they that the cops need to get inside the mind of a serial killer. Um, so we know that he's reading the paper um, because like we said, he changed up his gun. Um, and also 
Um, we had mentioned before in the last episode that Mr. Doi um, had called 911 uh, before he had died, which helped to save his wife. Uh, so Richard Ramirez had seen this and you could start to see that he was hearing about it because suddenly the phones were no longer either in the house because he took them with them or he cut the cords so that the phone lines couldn't be used um, okay. as well as uh, they also kind of mentioned that Frank in the LA Times in an interview um, talking about the Hillside Strangler, as well as this case that he believed that, um, he believed that the Night Stalker, because obviously they don't know that it's him yet, uh, is a coward. And um, it ends up on the front page with a lot of like personal information, such as that he lived with his kids. And I think it really just drives home like how people were starting to panic about it. Um, he started sleeping with a gun and then we kind of hear some news articles very similar to um, the Golden State Killer, who's also known as the original Night Stalker. Um, if you watch I'll Be Gone in the Dark, um, they also kind of mention the same like news articles um, saying like that everyone's buying locks and everyone's buying guns and everybody's also very much like the Yorkshire um, killer, uh, Ripper, yeah. um, of people getting self-defense classes. Um, and this is kind of when we transition in and we see Laurel Erickson, the reporter again, talking about the nicknames such as the Valley Intruder or the Walk-In Killer before they finally, uh, the media settles upon the Night Stalker um, as his name and that sticks. So, now we are on to August 8th, 1985, which is day 144. Uh, Gil receives a call in the middle of the night. Uh, this family, Sakina and Elias Abawath, and their three-year-old son um, had survived in a, uh, uh, had been victims of an attack. The wife and son had survived. Um, this is close to where is this the, this is the one that's like really close to where he lives right yeah it's like five miles away from his home yeah this is like a quick drive from where Gil lives and it feels way too close to home you know he's Gil has a family he has wife and um, kids at home and he's terrified and he says he will not come back home until this is over um, the, the wife um, says that to Gil and oh, right. um, takes the kids and says like, hey, like we're, we're going somewhere else until um, you can guarantee that this person is uh, dealt with because I, you can't do anything else to protect them pretty much. Yes. And um, in this house, they find, so the, the man was shot in the head, the husband, and um it was the same, the 25 auto with the red ammo. There was also um, some ha a half-eaten melon in the house that they believe was eaten by the Night Stalker that he killed and just just hung oh, out for really, a little. Really comfortable. Wor worked up an appetite, I guess. Um, he sexually assaulted uh, the woman. And this is um, another time when we see kind of the weird satanic stuff coming through because he tells 
the woman, don't look at me or I'll kill you. And she says, I swear to God, I won't look at you. And he gets angry and he says, no, swear to Satan. I want you to swear to Satan that you won't look at me. And so she says, okay, I swear to Satan that I won't look at you. Which I just like rolled my eyes during that. I was like, you fucking psychopath. Like really? And as we know, as most people in the true crime, like, arena know like satanism like isn't it isn't as like evil like horrible being like animal sacrifices and stuff like that than it was portrayed especially during this time um but I'm just like just like leave your own weird fucking fantasies and leave everybody out of it but that's just me I know anyways so fucking weird and yeah exactly satanism is not actual satanism is not um meant to be uh evil evil so much as it is uh meant to i mean i don't i'm not an expert on satanism but (laughs) so much as it is uh meant to kind of be anti everything that's wrong with christianity yeah so (laughs) Which, which is like uh you can see from Actually, there's a really great podcast that I really like to listen to called Web Crawlers, and Ooh. they do a good they do a good deep dive into the Church of Satan and kind of what um, what they stand for and uh, what it's all about. But it's it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so because this was clearly another night stalking uh, victim. Uh, there was a lot of police officers at the scene. So people had been walking through the house, destroying evidence. And by the time Gail got there, it was like ruined basically. Which I would, I would have flipped shit. Like, especially when we're like looking at it, like the Yorkshire killer and everything, uh, Ripper. Oh my God, Jesus, Marissa. We, we just did it weeks ago. I don't understand why you can't say it correctly, (laughs) but um, we had just had this conversation about like how, like, so easily these investigations can go so wrong and like Gil and Frank are trying to do their very fucking best to collect all the evidence to do what they need to do to like to solve this case and just these people who are like and no no offense like it's kind of like um I think of it kind of like uh when a car crash happens on the side of the road and everybody like rubbernecks and everybody like wants to see and look um mm-hmm. that I do think that like when they're like oh my god this is the night stalker that everybody was like I want to go stick my nose in it and you're like just, just fucking stay in your lane dude <laughs> yeah because it's such a high profile case and it's so exciting Anna just threw something at me yes can I help you what do you need stop what oh um <laughs> because it's such a high profile case uh everybody kind of wants to see what what it looks like you know well what they want to be a part of the action night stalker yeah what does a night stalker murder look like and Mm -hmm. it kind of becomes sensationalized especially by people who deal with um people who deal with crimes you know on uh, on on the regular this is a a whole nother level of crime this is a whole nother level of disturbing um so it's kind of interesting you like I can understand from a point of view that you do want to see that, but also you have to know, like as law enforcement professionals, you have to know how this, how evidence works. Yeah, like like boundaries. You have to know how all this shit works and you have to know that if you're walking through a crime scene, like it's no big deal that you are going to ruin it and contaminate it. So 
Um, and this is when we start to get into the, uh, so he's in, uh, Richard Ramirez has been, um, the, the Night Stalker has been all over LA at this point, and there's multiple different, you know, um, law. Jurisdictions. Jurisdictions, whatever. Department, um, you know. So this is where, yeah, police departments all over LA. So this is where you get to see um, the the too many cooks uh, thing come in. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> too many cooks in the kitchen come thing come in because um, Gil describes being at a meeting for, uh, like he he's at another office. He's at another office, and he hears um, the chief there discussing discussing the Night Stalker case and he incorrectly name and he incorrectly says to the officers that this guy is not dangerous um that and that he, he's like a weakling he's weak and you can take him very easily so he you know he's really not that dangerous and Gil kind of cuts in and he's like that is the complete opposite of what it, <laughs> he really is um he's actually has had shown some incredible physical strength um, and intelligence to be able to to get himself into these homes and kill people and beat people and um, hurt people severely. He's not a weakling. He's not something that you shouldn't be afraid of. So that is when they decide um, to kind of help all of the different um, offices, all of the different police officers understand um, what they're looking for from the Night Stalker, uh, the evidence that they have so far, and, you know, kind of what to be aware of when you, when they are out, you know, doing their jobs, they decide to make a video. And this is the video that you actually see at the beginning of the first episode. So it looks like it's, um, like a weird public service announcement, but it's actually a video that was distributed to, um, law enforcement all throughout LA. And, and it is, it's Gil, right? Yep, it is. It's we literally get to see the the footage of Gil, like when he was, you know, thirty five years old doing those cases. Yeah, and he's um, describing. Um, okay, this is the kind of uh, person we're looking for. He's a what uh, Caucasian or light skinned uh, Latino Latino man. We are looking for, you know, this type of shoe. This is the evidence we have. This is the shoe print. Da da da. So um, they go kind of. Uh, checklist down and it kind of lays out all that information which imagine if they had done that in the Yorkshire Ripper case exactly Um. and that's what I was (laughs) going to say I was like if they had like well okay if they had done that with the correct information so like not being like oh he has a Jordan um but like literally like all the information that they had if it like did a deep dive into it like yeah, every department would be on the same page. And especially back then for like, you know, where they didn't have the internet and they didn't have like cell phones and um, emails and, you know, all that, like they were basically faxing information over or it was, you know, word of mouth. And as we know, like word of mouth easily becomes broken telephone. So, or as Gil later on says, like, um, he says in it, like, oh, like the information needed to be correct. Otherwise the information was going to change if someone wanted to be blowing smoke up someone's ass. And I was like, yeah. yeah. So, um, so we ha- kind of had this like transition over to San Francisco. Um, this is August 18th, day 154. 
um, Frank Falzone. Um, he is a San Francisco police inspector. So I'm go I've labeled him as Frank uh, SF from now on because we now have two Franks um, included in this case. Um, so because this, it's the 80s. <laughs> yes. Um, so Frank SF um, uh, is talking to us about Peter and Barbara Pan. Um, Barbara survives uh, the attack, uh, is sexually, sexually assaulted and shot, but she does survive versus Peter Pan, which I was like, it's, it's like a very cute name because obviously it's like the Disney character, but I'm like, I can't not hear his name and think of Peter Pan. Anyways, um, so they kind of described how incredibly crazy this is because the killer opens the fridge, ate the contents in the fridge, vomited it up, and then proceeded to yes. masturbate on the living room carpet before carving a satanic marking on the wall. Um, and you're just sitting there trying to be like, he literally is trying to be the scariest, creepiest, most evil human being because like, how do you, no sane normal human being would do any of this but especially like the weird masturbation onto the yeah. living room carpet it gave me a lot of the like um like I said before a lot of the original Night Stalker um vibes too because sure. she was also very well known for that shit um but so Glendale PD was alerted and asked to check the gun and they asked um, the San Francisco department to check the gun. They determined that it was a 25 um, caliber automatic gun and the ammo of course matched the one that we've seen in the LA and surrounding counties. Um, so we then see the perspective from Laurel, again, our girl, Laurel. Um, so, our girl. so she kind of catches on to this and like, she has like a, a vibe that they're connected. So her and one of her uh, media partners uh, follows them up to San Francisco. Um, they're like, hey, do you wanna talk? And they're like, uh, Laurel, no, like go away. <laughs> um, but it is determined that it is in fact uh, the Night Stalker and that it's, it's scarier because especially, I feel like it's really hard for us um, East Coast, especially Northeast, uh, people to realize like how big the state of California is because for yeah. us like crossing like you know going for it takes no time for us to go from like Massachusetts to Maine or to Connecticut yeah. like but the, he's 500 miles away and so now this is a statewide um, issue because they're like well he's not sticking to one area he's going to multiple different areas um, and this random cop that the media come across, like they said that he's like watering his grass. Um, they basically get out of him, which I was like, you're so stupid. Why, why would you talk? Uh, <laughs> but the, the cop basically tells them that like, oh, there was writing on the wall that supposedly it's, he wrote like Jack the Ripper, which we do see images of it. But I honestly, I could see Jack, but I couldn't see what how the rapper was carved out of it, but maybe I just wasn't looking correctly. Yeah, um, I don't know. It looked weird, but- um, It doesn't look great. It yeah. Looks, yeah. It looks funky, but I guess it's like, you know, however good you can carve into a wall. Anyways, um, <laughs> not that that matters. Not that that's what we're critiquing 
um, Richard Ramirez for. Um, drum, uh, so this drums up like devil worship, which of course, as we know, is everyone's favorite thing to panic about, especially during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because like we, they had only in, you know, in the last decade or so had just dealt with Manson and Manson was, you know, kill the, kill the pigs, Satan. Helter skelter. Yep. Mm-hmm. So satanic, all that shit. So um, this just drummed up a whole bunch of issues and people started calling and they're like, oh my God, there's pentagrams over here and there's animal sacrifice over there. And um, so Laurel, of course, tracks down Frank and Gil um, and is like, hey, so Jack the Ripper, all written on the wall. And Frank's like, yeah, no, um, we're going to walk away. Bye, um, pretty much. Uh, and so we get Frank uh, SF um, asked, uh, he asked the chief to offer wait, up wait, our- wait. Can we call him San Francisco? <laughs> sure. San, San Francisco. Thank you. I'm gonna say I'm gonna call him San Frank. Um, San Frank. Because because I'm not gonna be able to say that because as we've learned, I can't read slash speak for my life. Anyways, um, so you don't asked- actually have to call him that. No, I know, I know, but it was funny. I, I look little round of applause for Abby. Thank you, thank you. I'm really funny, actually. Oh yeah, she's fucking hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> um, so he asked the mayor for a reward for information to be put up, and uh, as Abby and I just like put our heads down because we're like, honey, as we lower our heads and feel and shame, absolutely furious and yeah Abby why don't you jump into why you and I just like (laughs) sank down in in anger because they wanted to get a reward for the case they spoke with the (laughs) Marissa just burrito I just wrapped yeah I just pulled like a babushka looking like wrapped blanket wrapped around my head Um, so because they want to set out a reward for information that can lead to them catching um the Night Stalker, they have to inform the mayor about some of the details of the case. And somehow that gets lost to the mayor that this information about the case needs to be kept private. And the mayor of San Francisco goes on TV and offers the reward, but also discusses all of the details of the case that he knows, including... Uh, we're, we know that she is not into true crime because I feel like the easy go-to, like, number one thing is, like, don't give all the information. Mm-hmm. So she goes on TV and she basically just says... Uh, yeah she literally tells the media everything and the media did not know a lot of this stuff and this this is including the shoe uh all of the evidence that they have against uh the night stalker which is better feinstein do better (laughs) which is very little uh that they have again at this point so this has just completely um blown their case up uh this has done nothing but bad for um also she clearly didn't know that much because as I wrote in it she says that Barbara's dead Barbara's not dead Barbara survived this which which one is Barbara Barbara is the the wife of Peter 
Oh, Barbara Pan. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Barbara she's Pan. like, oh, like, Mr. and Mrs. Pan are now dead. And I'm like, Barbara's alive. <laughs> like, excuse me. <laughs> Big yikes. So, yeah. But it, it's, it's, it's a bad, bad. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, Gil and Frank and San Francisco are. Thank you. <laughs> um, that's the only time I'm doing that. Um, Gil and Frank's. Gil and the Franks are pissed. Are pissed. I feel like that should be like a hot dog place. Gil and the Franks. Gil and the Franks, yes. Um, but they're obviously pissed because they're like, we had little to nothing. And the one piece of information that we did have, why? Why? Um, and so they go to the chief. They're like getting drinks at a bar. They're pissed. Um, and, um, you know, so the the chief the county sheriff um sorry not chief county sheriff um is like hey 45 minutes later he's like get your shit together there's a press conference he's literally like drink up your drinks and eat and then like get to this yeah. conference and i wanted to be like you really want people who have consumed alcohol to continue working like i'm well, sorry but basically he said sober yourself up asap because you're gonna have to go on the news and talk about this now yeah um, um and so he's pretty much like he literally rips everybody a new butthole pretty much he's like hey you know we had very little to go on and now we have pretty much nothing thanks to agencies who basically like he doesn't say it specifically but he's basically like you fucked up our whole case like by sharing this information um and Gil and Frank are like hey you know what like you going out there and you kind of like reaming them um that actually like gave us the mental moral morale boost that we needed yeah Um, I think but the shoes were never found yeah I think they do describe the uh uh, just that's what I was gonna say mid-sentence oh I think they describe how it kind of helped them feel like they had a little bit more support behind them because they're uh the county sheriff was just as pissed as they were and so the county sheriff was like I have your back and that helped them to feel a little bit more supported and that helped Mm -hmm. them to feel like okay we have we have higher ups behind us who are Mm -hmm. on our side and who are gonna help us catch this guy yeah but also it uh, I think that a lot of their concern really wrapped around the fact that they really wanted to make sure that like politicians and other agencies weren't getting in the way of their investigation anymore so yeah. by him calling them out and being like, you just fucked up our case, kind of was a warning call to anyone else, including the media, of being like, you stay out of our business because you are the reason why this person isn't going to be caught if you keep releasing this information. Um, and I think that that kind of scared everybody a little straight. Um, but that's also my personal opinion. I was not alive during this time, so I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> okay, Abby, so it's August 24th, 1985, day 160. Yes, yeah, so we have Bill Carnes and Inez Erickson uh, are the two newest victims. Bill had been attacked, Inez had been sexually assaulted. During this assault, the uh, attacker had said uh, straight to them, I am the Night Stalker. Um, and this happened in Orange County. So this was a not, 
I don't know Orange County in relation to it's this is outside of LA or this is yeah this, this goes so pretty much it's kind of like you know he literally goes from um he goes from San Francisco and then comes right back around the surrounding areas that he was yes. last attacking people okay and uh the what little boy are you talking about here so the, there's a boy who um, he had been fixing his bike and had noticed this car that like kept driving by. Um, so he actually remembered the car and a partial license plate. Um, and this had been reported and released to the public um, because it was a weird car. I don't know if it's just because like the 70s and 80s, they thought that an orange car, like we have orange cars, but like, I still feel like that's a weird car to have. Yeah, that's um, a weird color. But um, especially for him to steal an orange car, I feel like that just attracts more attention. Um, but uh, so they, he had reported it. Um, and then a friend of a guy who the car had belonged to um, had said, oh, like my friend's Toyota, it's orange. And it, it, the license plate is 482RTS. Um, it was stolen from Chinatown the other day. Um, and it had matched the boy's description as well as the partial uh, license plate. Um, and uh, Ramirez had left the car and uh, they got prints off the rear view mirror, but Abby, that was a little information, right? What? Oh, yeah. Uh, I was like, I'm trying to make a segue for you, goddammit. <laughs> a segue for me? Um, oh, you shouldn't have. Oh my god. <laughs> so uh this was unfortunately, you know, they were able to get the print, but if you don't have a suspect to compare prints to, uh then there's there's literally nothing to do that Which nothing. is so sad to think and of. yeah, so you're just sitting there with this evidence. Um and you know, this also was before they had like online databases of fingerprints and things like that to compare. Yeah. Um, they literally had to go find the card, find all the cards under a certain name and then comparatively look at them. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, so now we are uh, on August 27th, day mm -hmm. 163. A female calls in to the tip line about her father who lives on Skid Row and she says his name is Rick. She thinks that he is the Night Stalker. Um, uh, because he was talking about, wait, what? Yeah, she so didn't... so he had said that he had murdered an Asian couple. Yes, um, but it, it's it, her. It's her dad. It's not her dad. No. So the so it's it was basically... somebody who was talking to her dad. Yeah. Okay. No, I I'm <laughs> saying like okay. So the I'm sorry, my notes are not super great when you no. know, but it's pretty much like if I was like, hey. Abby's my dad. Abby, Abby, you're my dad. Um, Abby's now friends with this guy on Skid Row. His name is Rick, and he's telling my dad that like he killed this Asian yes. couple with yes. a 22 caliber automatic weapon. So yeah, so she's saying that her dad had told her about this guy he was friends with, and the guy the guy he's friends with was named Rick, and he had been describing. Um, murdering an Asian couple and he described that he used a 22 um and 
he the girl's father had been asked to drop the gun off uh in tijuana mexico and also a drop off a boom box um which was from that specific murder which is uh evidence like something that he had taken from their house mm -hmm. um so he dropped it in mexico to get rid of the evidence for this guy so he had worked he had he had been like okay you killed someone i'll drop off your evidence in mexico for you so that you it will never I, be uh, okay well here's the other thing like as as uh, <clears throat> I've been watching a lot about um, Skid Row because of the Cecil Hotel. Um, so Skid Row- Because was, of what? The Cecil Hotel. Um, because so, of the Cecil Hotel. Um, so Skid Row um, is located in downtown LA for any of our East Coast people because I wouldn't know that for the life of me. Um, so I think I, I knew that. But just because, no, like, I, I mean, know, it's, yeah. it's the biggest, it's the largest homeless, uh, huge and most, area. and most dangerous, and uh, very dangerous, a lot of crime, uh, a lot of homelessness, um, extreme poverty. And, yeah, it's where like at um, least 5,000 to 10,000 homeless people live on the streets, um, and also where there's uh, uh, there's a lot of drugs, and as we know, um, the Night Stalker himself was into drugs so uh, mm -hmm. yeah but what, what I was gonna say is that like if the dad is living on skid row and someone's like hey yo like we're friends we do drugs together or or that's an assumption or like maybe like oh I can do something for you if you get rid of this gun for me and right. then by mentioning this murder that he did because I think that Richard Ramirez, anyways, based on what we learn later, find out about him, like he thinks he's hot fucking shit. So, yeah. you know, by using this as almost like a threatening, like I did this to these people. So if you don't do what I say, I will fucking find you and I will fucking kill you. That yes. yeah, I would also go to fucking Tijuana to drop off a gun. So, yeah. you know. So then, um, you know, this this woman has called in with this important tip, but uh, she doesn't know the she doesn't know Rick's last name. Um, then she, is it that same woman turns in a bracelet? Or no. So this is in San Francisco. An informant um, gets a call or no. Sorry. An informant turns. I'm sorry. I was like, I really got to do like a coffee burp and I don't want to burp into the microphone. A coffee, uh, a coffee burp. Um, so this informant calls um, the tip line in San Francisco and is like, hey, um, my wife's mother got this bracelet from her boyfriend. And I'm pretty sure that it was stolen from one of the Night Stalker murder cases. Mm -hmm. um, and so they go, they track down the mother um, and she's like, yeah, like my boyfriend, um, Armando Rodriguez um, had gotten me the bracelet and said that his friend Rick, who was from El Paso, had given it to her, um, to, given it to him. And um, uh, in, the, in, in the case uh, that you said that the, the female had called uh, about her father, her father had also said Rick is from El Paso. Um, so that's kind of a part of the whole like alert. Um, and when they got more information, they learned that oh. Armando, um, Armando's friend lived in El Paso. He also wore a members only jacket, had really bad teeth, and also wore an ACDC hat, which we learned about in the first half of 
um, this uh, four-part series um, that he wore all of these things. So ba- yeah, so based on that description, he matched um, their suspect. Yes. Uh, Rick matched their suspect. And mm-hmm. so they end up tracking down Armando um, to try and ask him who Rick is. And at that point, Armando's like, no, I'm not going to help you. Um, and who's the one who does it? Uh, San Francisco, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I just so wanted you to say it. <laughs> San Francisco is... You know, interrogates Armando, and this is where we get into a little bit of a iffy uh, ethical problems. <laughs> so, San Frank- <laughs> so San Francisco is really frustrated because Armando says, "No, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell you his last name." They're like, "Just give us a name. Tell tell us if you know where he stays, where he lives." Blah blah blah. Uh, Armando's like, "No." So San Francisco gets a little violent. And starts beating the shit Armando <laughs> and starts beating the shit out of him until he gives him the name. And this is the very last scene of the of episode three where we have, you know, San Francisco describing, you know, beating a man <laughs> until he until he finally, uh, you know, with his trying to shield his face, says Richard Ramirez, Richard Ramirez, that's his name. So uh yeah. so episode <clears throat> three episode is three. done and we now we have episode four a full name dun, dun, dun. Uh, so um this episode is called manhunt um we dive into the background of richard and as abby and i are going to say multiple times throughout this because i know abby and i know myself um just because you do shitty or shitty things happen to you doesn't mean you have to continue the cycle. Um, yeah. There are yeah. plenty of people who have had horrible things happen to them, which we come up at later, who don't become fucking psychopath, murderers, rapists, molesters, and all these horrible things. I just want to make that clear because I want to punch this person in the face. Right. So we have this, um, we have kind of a brief background. It's not it's really not that um, they don't go into too much intense detail. They just go into some background about his life that he was always kind of a, an outsider. He never really fit in with anyone. He, um, he was known for being a thief. Uh, He, his nickname was five finger Richie. Yes. He also, they learned had been um, witness to his cousin, uh, murdering his wife uh, as a child, which was pretty upsetting. Yep. Um, um, that his father, like reprimanding him, would tie him to a cross in a cemetery and leave him there all night. Super fucking weird. And um, the cu- the same cousin that murdered his wife in front of Richard also would describe um, c- terrible things that he would do to people when he was um, at war in Vietnam. Uh, Richard also started doing drugs at a very young age. Um, Which can obviously, like, are, as we know, heroin um, specifically can cause a lot of damage um, outwardly to your teeth. So, like, that kind of also plays into, like, his appearance and all that. Um, But, yeah, he was a big fan of heroin and cocaine. Yes, Um, and uh, there's the quote from that scene they say all the things that could poison a child uh were in his life so 
you know, it, it's kind of a, anything that can go wrong will go wrong with his childhood, his life, his early life was really, it was obviously very difficult. He was exposed to a lot of traumatic things. Very we can, early, we can, yeah. We can recognize that and acknowledge that, and we can acknowledge that, uh, um, we can acknowledge that, but we still uh, don't feel... That that's a valid excuse. <laughs> it's not an excuse to be a serial killer it's not um it's not an excuse to molest children it's not an excuse nope. to sexually assault people it's nope. not an excuse to uh murder people and nearly decapitate them and do all the horrible things that he did um yep. and we kind of jump into we see a different perspective of a librarian who had been a librarian at the central library and remembers richard walking in um, and ask for books on horoscopes and torture. As an avid horoscope reader, that has nothing to do with it. But <laughs> I just want to make that clear. I also have other stuff coming up later on where just because he, an evil person, connects to these things doesn't mean that those things are evil. I'm just saying. <laughs> Anyways, well, I just. I, torture, yes. Horoscopes, no. though some people would describe horoscope as a low-level torture of me being like are you a Gemini because I'm a Gemini it's it ties into uh I think it ties into a little bit of his um mental uh where where he was at a state of mind where he was so like in uh, trying to find reasons to do things. You finding mean? meanings in things, finding meanings uh, yes. that don't have meaning. Yes. That don't, that don't um, connect to whatever you're trying to find meaning in. And Are I you think that- tell me that horoscopes have no meaning? No, horoscopes have lots of meaning, but I'm saying that. Um, <laughs> I'm, to- because- I'm totally fucking shitting with you, but like, <laughs> but also, yes, I do have a horoscope app on my phone. So. It, it also goes into- a- I do too, but it also goes into um, a little bit of his like satanic stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's like people making connections through things based on the way that the stars are aligned, and it's just you know, he's looking for meaning in his or uh, like when gravestones start talking to you, meaning and justification, <laughs> <laughs> meaning and justification for your actions. Um, so it's yeah. That's where you kind of see where he's a little bit of where he's looking. Um, yeah. <clears throat> now we're on to on anyways, August 30th, day 166, <laughs> the captain calls Galen Franken and they're like, hey yo, we have a name. And hey, they're yo. like, hey yo, uh, <laughs> we have a name. And they're like, how do you have a name? And they're like, well, San Francisco found the name from an informant. So we have Richard Ramirez, and they're like, okay. So they start to go through the um files that they have for fingerprints they find several Richard Ramirez as that is a pretty popular name um and so they end up narrowing it down to Richard Ramirez the one that we're talking about um he has a lightweight uh record is what they say that he has no violent crimes just petty theft and grand theft auto um they do pull out a booking photo that had been taken actually eight months prior to all of this um and they brought it over to the informant and they're like hey is this him and he's like yeah absolutely that's him um so now they have this like big 
dilemma where the departments are fighting over whether they release the name and photo um, to the public or if they wait um, until they capture Richard Ramirez and then publish it. Um, Frank and Gil say that they don't want to do a public blitz um, while San Francisco uh, <laughs> wants a public blitz, um, which I do have to say, I agree with San Francisco um, because of pretty much what happens next. I, I think that a lot could have gone wrong trying to track him down um, without the public's help. Um, so they do across the state, um, they start, you know, showing his face and his name. Um, so, and then we jump into August 31st, day yes. 167. So we, we begin with um, the librarian described earlier who had seen him saying all of a sudden he was seeing this face plastered across uh, newspapers and, and on TV and confirms that was definitely him um, as well like, how as- How crazy would that have been if like you were that person? Yeah, as well as the little girl, the, the girl who had been kidnapped. Uh, this is the girl who had been kidnapped when she was like six, right? Colleen? No, this is Joyce Nelson. Her grandmother had been um, murdered, um, had been murdered um, and nearly decapitated. Okay, okay. So she also confirms, well, yeah. she, she also describes seeing this person, um, seeing this face. Uh, so the police find out that he was, Richard was away um in Arizona he had gone to visit his brother at the time right they and actually found that out later what they knew is that he liked to travel via the Greyhound oh, station okay. so they thought that he was going to he was going Try to, to run about away. this and then run away from the ground uh the Greyhound station um but Anna, sorry Anna's trying to tell me the story right now yes what I know Yes. So uh, they they go to the Greyhound station. What is Anna saying? Oh, Anna's just telling me the story of how he was caught. <laughs> Anna's adding her own. Anna, just grab a microphone already. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, you go. <laughs> so the police are waiting at the Greyhound station. <laughs> um, was the team that they asked what what does that note say, Marissa? They were well known for killing the killers. Yeah, so so they so Frank and Gil had specifically asked a specific team within the LAPD to um, take surveillance to wait for him and identify him coming in. Mm -hmm. They were a team that was well known for like pretty much when they were called in, they always kind of like, I don't want to say accidentally. But usually the person they were trying to surveillance, they just ended up killing. So they, Frank kind of like explains, like he specifically knew that like they were going to be relentless. So like mm -hmm. worst comes to worst, they either would catch him alive or he'd be dead. So, yeah. you know, the, so the best way, of both worlds in, yeah. Yeah, in, their, in their eyes. 
So uh, now we're at, it's 8.15 a.m. on August 31st. Richard Ramirez had been in Arizona um, visiting his brother. So he missed all of the California publicity. Uh, Which is crazy to think that like that just so, like perfectly was timed the way it was accidentally. Yeah which it, yeah it's it's just kind of wild so the surveillance like team <laughs> the, the surveillance team had been expecting him to you know come into the greyhound station not leave the greyhound station from some coming in from somewhere else mm-hmm. so richard ramirez sees himself on the front page of the newspaper freaks the fuck out and hops on a bus uh, then when he's on that bus, everybody all of a sudden uh, recognizes him, and they all start. Uh, <clears throat> a specific guy uh, recognizes him, hops off the bus, um, and calls on a public payphone, um, saying that Richard Ramirez is on that bus. Um, but Richard Ramirez, you know, catches on, uh, jumps off that bus, and um, that is when uh, you know everybody is calling now. So Richard Ramirez is on the run, basically. And um, including, wait. He, he runs through like the highway and traffic. Yeah. Like he's on foot. He's not like, he's not running via car and everybody, he keeps trying to steal their car and ask for the keys. They like recognize him and they're like, no, <laughs> like, yeah. um, or they try to fight him off. So there's a there's a man named Manuel de la Torre who hits Ramirez over the head with a tire iron um, while well, fighting with him because he's trying to steal his car. Um, uh, yeah. And so then he's in this neighborhood trying to steal a car. Uh, he gets hit over the head of the tire iron. He keeps running. His neighbors come out to see what what the hell's going on and what the commotion is all about and they begin to recognize him as well so then this whole you know he's in this like residential neighborhood and this whole neighborhood begins to recognize him as the night stalker so everybody's kind of coming out of their house to to try and get him basically um a, a man named Andy Ramirez who is a police officer in the area gets called to the scene uh there had been which he doesn't even know that it's Richard Ramirez he just gets a call about an angry mob and a guy with a gun yes and yeah it's a call about a guy with a gun people fighting some kind of commotion in the streets so you know he's he pulls up to the scene um actually they say that they heard Richard Ramirez uh people who were there at the time heard Richard Ramirez say thank god the cops are coming because he knew that if that crowd caught him that they would beat him to death and at least mm-hmm. the cops would just arrest him mm-hmm. maybe, probably yep. um so Andy comes and he arrests Richard uh saving him from the crowd of angry uh, neighbors but of course Richard has to be a fucking dickhead like he will always be um so he spits at the crowd and starts like flipping his tongue as if it's a snake to be like look at how evil and unhuman I'm like blah 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 mostly because he's a fucking coward and he's in the custody knowing that nothing's gonna happen to him now exactly Um, feeling safe yeah and then Um, we kind of see the footage of him being arrested with like his head all like padded up which is so 
weird to see um and the cops keep asking him what his name is and he's like it's me it's me it's me like he's just so fucking done with it he's just like leave me the fuck alone I just like yeah it's me I did it (laughs) yeah he's just like I ran all these miles I've gotten hit over the head like I'm done I'm done um and Gil and Frank are notified that they have him he goes they go over to the Hollenbach uh, police department and it's surrounded by citizens who are basically a lynch mob. They're like, the moment you bring him out, we are going to fucking lynch him. Like, ugh. And yeah. um, his the we have Linda who is from the forensics department. Um, and we've seen her throughout the, the case, and she's supposed to be called in to do his prints. Um, but looking at um, the black in his eyes, as well as the fact that like he attacked her neighbor, mm-hmm. um, he is unable to do the prints and has a colleague who has to do it. And she's like, his eyes are just black and evil. And you're just getting constant photos of him. And it's just like, it gives you fucking chills down your spine looking at someone who like literally embodies all like if you had to like have someone represent evil like that's like the hollowed face the skinniness the hair the darkness in his eyes the teeth yeah like he just looks evil the pictures that they show of him you can really see in his eyes like there is no soul there is no life in his eyes Mm -hmm. there's no there's no yeah there's no soul there's nothing behind everyone take a shot every time you hear a car honk in abby's background (laughs) um yeah basically what you need to do because this fucking shit is annoying as hell um sorry i apologize um so i forgot what i was saying where were we so sorry um how how evil he looks in the photos oh yes you see how terrifying there's like his eyes are like just pure blackness there's nothing there's nothing behind them there's no like he doesn't have a twinkle he doesn't have a sparkle he doesn't even it doesn't even look like he has like colors like he doesn't even look alive like he looks undead and like soul this soulless monster he it's so creepy and the fact that people can like sexualize that really yes and we out. will we will get into <laughs> that because I have a lot of thoughts anyways yeah. so Richard says he knows who Frank is when Frank walks in he's like I know who you are and he's all kind of awestruck because Frank obviously as we've discussed before was the the lead detective on the hillside strangler and he has this like oh my god like if this guy was called in for me then I'm a big fucking deal yeah Um, and and that's where you get the the um this is where you kind of learn or the fascination get the idea that he yeah that he has this um interest and fascination with serial killers and and that he's basically a student like he wants to be them um yeah he's essentially studying serial killers oh yeah he knows all the names and he knows all the details. So. It is very different than how Abby and I study serial killers. We very have no different. desire. <laughs> we have no desire to kill people. Anyways, um, Gil. We don't um, idolize the killers themselves. No, 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 That's no. That's the thing. So no. he, Richard Ramirez clearly idolized these serial killers. Oh, and yes. Wanted- like them and so his studying them was not to um was not to was in the interest of becoming them or becoming yeah yeah um, abby and i are just afraid of being murdered 
So yeah. <laughs> we're studying to avoid. Anywho. So um, Gil, yeah. Gil starts to talk to Richard, trying to build up a little bit of, a uh, little bit of trust, uh, establish a little bit of a relationship with him. And so he does that by using um, street slang, Spanish street slang that he knows. Mm -hmm. And uh to, to kind of build a trust because if he said like the only way that you would know those words or use those words to somebody is if they came from the streets came from like a poor um you know predominantly Mexican area which is where Richard Ramirez came from so what's well, not true huh the what the slam what Okay, it's it's gang street slang. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, no, I'm not saying every poor Mexican knows that. Okay, I'm not saying that every, I'm not saying that it's that um, being living in poverty is equivalent to <laughs> means you automatically uh, understand gang language that's no, not what that's abby not what is what abby is trying to say is that they both came from similar backgrounds yes and, they both came from similar gil, backgrounds. gil knew new street slang because he had been on the streets and, and involved, uh, involved in. in gang um activity when he was younger and so he knew that by talking to richard in a specific way that it would build a sense of trust and respect um, mm -hmm. that um, he wasn't getting from Richard um, prior because as Gil says during it, he's like, oh, I was just sitting there in the corner like a poor Mexican is what he said. And I don't come for me. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, I know. But um, so, yeah, so we get that. And then I loved this part. So Gil says, like, I've been shot and stabbed. Anna, what? No, no, no. She was like, what did Marissa say? <laughs> Wait for he the podcast. describes Anna. He describes himself in the documentary. The, the police officer describes himself as, quote, a poor Mexican. Yeah, but that's generalization. It's, it's absolutely generalization. So not all the Mexicans who are poor. No. Are <laughs> No, I, no, I would never, I, I'm not saying that at all. No, I know, uh, are like no damn shit, so. Yeah, no, not everybody who is, not everybody who lives so in poverty would understand gang stuff. Yes, the way that he describes his, his background and his experience, he describes it in a very generalized way. But he does say that he and Richard Ramirez come from similar backgrounds, yeah. similar upbringings, sim not upbringings, not upbringings that were not brought up the same way, but similar backgrounds, <laughs> mm -hmm. similar kinds of neighborhoods and um, exactly, but, mm -hmm. but exactly goes to show where you come from does not determine how you will spend the rest of your life. You, you, you know, coming from, uh, the streets coming from being affiliated with gangs does not mean that you're gonna have to be a serial killer. It's it just, yeah. it, you know. Um, that's he, actually what I was gonna say at the end was like, I think that that's really why the way that the documentary was kind of uh, um, set up outlined wise of why we learned so much about Gil's background is to mm -hmm. specifically show that there's like these two paths in life 
that you can come from the same places, you can come from similar backgrounds, you can be shown like opportunities. Um, but it's all about like the decisions and choices of the people and ourselves around us as well that mm-hmm. can determine which way we go. Because, you know, Gil's parents were like, oh, our son is going down a bad path. We're going to do something to shift that um, so that he has better opportunities, so that he has, um, you know, uh, he has other things to look forward to, to have pride in versus uh, Richard Ramirez's family. Um, it appears based on the knowledge that we know of him to uh, project violence and to desensitize violence for it to be okay and not for it to be something to um, strive not to do to other people um, mm-hmm. instead of almost um, grow power from it. Um, uh, take a shot for the honk in the background. Uh, so um, uh, we there's this part where Gil's like, I've been shot, stabbed, and um, I've been shot and stabbed, but I can't take, I can't handle someone who's floating after he's having having this conversation with uh, Richard Ramirez um, talking about his his hand like starts to shake or he starts to get kind of shaky and his hands like start to come off the table his hands like come off the table and Gil says he he suddenly becomes afraid he suddenly has this image in his mind of Richard Ramirez just levitating (laughs) off of the chair and floating around the room and And he's like I just he's like yeah he's like I just that's the one thing (laughs) um But, and then we have- um, So they have to transport him. Yeah, they they have to transport him. Leo is coming into the room. So if he hops up on the table. Leo! Um, So they have to transport him. They have to put him in a car and bring him, I don't remember where, uh, to be like processed, to be booked, right? And um, they're really worried about bringing him outside and getting in that car with him uh, to drive him because- there is a huge mob of people outside. As we Um, learn, not all of them are critical. Right. As we learn, not all of them are there because they are, uh, because they want to kill the Night Stalker. Um, As they're driving away, you know, Richard Ramirez has his head down in the back seat. Um, As they're driving away, they see a woman standing on top of a truck, uh, pull her her blouse open and uh, shake her titties. And (laughs) as Abby and I both do that in the camera. And Gil says to, um, Gil says to Richard Ramirez, they're not doing that for us. Look, look, Rick, she's doing that for you. So you kind of see like, uh, this is like, he has a fan base already, Suddenly. which is creepy and weird and mm-hmm. no, and mm-hmm. Yep. Nasty. You're nasty. Oh. That's the kind yeah. of thing you're into. Um, and so they're Something's like, there's. You. Yes. And they're saying like across the entire state, it didn't matter where anybody was, whether they were in McDonald's or they were out, like everyone is cheering and screaming, like as if they won the world series because they all of a sudden know that the night stalker has been caught and he's no longer on the streets. And there's just this collective sigh and poor Laurel was getting her hair cut and she was pissed because she was like I was covering this this entire time and when he gets arrested I'm getting my hair cut and I can never forgive myself yeah Um, but we start to go through everyone's reactions so you know we see like um 
like Colleen's reaction. We see Anastasia's re reaction and Anastasia's the one who was the six-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, so we get, we get a lot of people's reactions of like where they were and what they were doing and what their reactions were when they heard that Richard Ramirez had been caught. Um, Frank puts Richard Ramirez in the Hillside Strangler's cell kind of to make him feel like he's important and put him like in a good mood to be able to talk. They tell him. They tell yes, him. Yes, they specifically tell him. They're like, hey, like we're going to go put you in the Hillside Strangler cell. And he's like. <gasps> and he gets like, so excited. That oh, he's I'm getting the treatment. Um, and also, so he feels like he's a really, like, so he feels like he's a big deal killer because, right, Hillside Strangler at the time, big deal killer. So mm -hmm. then Richard Ramirez can feel like he is on that same level. It'll boost his ego and it might get him, uh, it might get him. Admit him to stuff or other, other to killings. Talk. Yeah. Um, Gil says that he goes to his cousin's wedding that night and um, everyone's cheering and like his sister wants to walk in with him. And we have this really sweet moment where Gil gets to tell his wife and, and kids that um, they can come home now. Yes. Um, which I can't imagine how um, heart-wrenching that, that whole interaction must be of like being so scared that someone's coming to get you and then having that relief and that safety knowing that that person can never come and get you. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so we also have this really sad um moment where Anastasia who like we said was the six-year-old who had been sexually assaulted um by Richard she was Ramirez. The one who had been kidnapped and, yes. and assaulted by him he had yes. taken her out of her house in the night and mm -hmm. so um, and so they do a, a a lineup and um there's just this really sad cute moment where she puts her yeah. hand up and she's like do you want me to write the number two or the like do you want me to write out the like the number two or do you want me to the word like, word to um uh and you know she's at that point still she's still only a six-year-old uh she's very little and she comes in with these with uh, other survivors to go and identify him in the lineup they have a lot of people coming in and they're having him repeat certain phrases um in the lineup so creepy to i was like identify him and you you actually see the lineup itself recording of the lineup which is super creepy mm -hmm. and um, he weirdly looks embarrassed that he has to do that yeah, because they ask him to say, like, shut up, bitch, or something, and yeah. he's, like, the way he says it is, like, you know that's not how he said it at the time. No. Like, you know that he said it with so much more confidence and, like... Yeah, well, he's, know. like, he's looking down. He's also and wearing he's, the like, same shirt as everybody up, else. He's got a yeah. number around him. He's looking down, like, he's in, he's in broad daylight now, yeah. you know, versus, like, in the darkness when you have the power of the situation, like, Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely you're going to use your terror as he always has used um to get people to do what he wants but so, yeah it was just so uncomfortable watching the situation they end up um dropping some of they end up dropping all of the charges against children uh the molestation charges and, and rape charges against the children because if they had uh kept those charges then those children would have had to stay in trial and they felt that that would be too traumatic uh, for them which i mean yeah. um I mean, so, just leave the poor kids alone jesus christ <laughs> exactly. just, let's let the kids just heal let's not make them be in the same room as him so uh we get introduced to uh the lawyers uh of the state of california which are uh philip 
Halpin and Alan Yokelson. Yokelson? Yokelson? I don't know. Um, so, but we only see Alan. Um, Alan shares that, uh, like, basically nothing had been like a media spree and like crazy like this since Manson. Um, what? I'm sorry. I just got devastating. Well, okay. Apparently, Chris Harrison quit The Bachelor. Yeah, I just saw that. What? I'm sorry. This is very important news. We're talking about a serial killer and you're... I, I, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What the fuck? Uh, uh, I see where your priorities lie. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry, but please! Okay, okay. Finish that shit! I'm sorry, let's finish, let's finish, let's finish. I'm sorry, continue, go. Oh, um, wait, no, pause again. You're gonna have to cut this out. Hold on. <laughs> Okay, so we have to finish. Okay, you're gonna have to cut all this out. Sorry. Okay, go back to you owe me. I owe you a million, uh, a million dollars that I don't have that I will never have. Okay, so let's go. Let's go back. Let's go back. uh, Anyways, where we were was um (sighs) we okay. So where we were was we meet the lawyers prepping for the case. Um, we meet Phil Halpin and Alan. Yokelson. Um, Alan shares that there hasn't been this much craziness since um, the Manson killings. Um, and we meet Richard's lawyer. Um, his name is, you say it. Oh, Richard's lawyer is named Arturo Hernandez. And this Arturo Hernandez has never done the death penalty case, um, but he knew that Richard's father was asking for help. So he, uh, a lot of people label them as like not being capable or qualified. Um, and the other lawyers, um, Alan, uh, is pretty, uh, they're really stressed out because they really don't want a mistrial. Um, and uh, the lawyer, Hernandez, um, he's like, we really can't fuck up with this. So there's no strikeouts allowed. Um, and you know, then there's the famous scene with of the, him in court. Yes, with him in court, and he has the pentagram with the circle around it and says, Hail Satan, while he's leaving. And this is when we get into the groupies. Yes. And so, I have a lot of fucking feelings. Also, so when they show, they show like the clips of him in the court and they show him when he does his Hail Satan thing and you hear the audible gasp of people in the room um but then they yeah so then they get into the weird uh fascination of people who want to fuck richard ramirez yeah and people who are sending him like nude uh, pictures nude pictures of themselves and cards and poems it's just so gross and weird and creepy and i hate it oh yeah Uh, and and as they said they're like you know fame generates lust like yeah. just because he's famous not the fact that not he's what fucking killed people it, it kind of goes back to the whole ted bundy where you know mm-hmm. people are like oh my god he's a bad boy like and suddenly like 
Richard Ramirez has sex appeal and sunglasses. Like who bought him sunglasses in jail? His lawyer? Like this is five years after the murders and he showed up to court inside with sunglasses on. It is super fucking weird when you see him with his uh, sunglasses on in the fucking courtroom. It's just strange as fuck. Um, yeah. And people are like, I've never seen somebody with more sex appeal. And I just keep thinking back to the librarian where he's like, he smelled like a goat. <laughs> like, dude, his teeth are rotted out of his head. He smells like a goat. He's murdered people. Like, grow your standards, honey. And we wrap about round back to the beginning of the episode. <laughs> Have standards. Yes. So, uh, shoot. You're good. Keep going. Um, oh, so you're you're up here. Um, so I love um we have the woman from the beginning of like episode one where she, like I said, she had the heart heart glasses. Um she literally is like, I think that they're the dumbest bitches ever. And I was like, I want you to be related to me somehow because I just want to spend so much time with you. Um and um so uh and uh, one of the journalists is like, the thing that's weird about him is that these people want to like fuck him because of the sex appeal and like bad boy syndrome gone wrong. Um, but that Richard Ramirez is not capable of reciprocating. Like he looks at you like your dinner, like, yeah. you know, and um, so this, we have a tra- quick transition into um, kind of more details into Gil's reaction with Anastasia and she's like six years old saying like, oh, I remember you because you remind me of my teddy bear and I'll take the stand if that means that no other little girls get hurt anymore by him. And you're like, this girl is six years old and she's talking like she's older. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, your heart breaks. And like I said, they decide to drop those cases because he was already facing the death penalty um, so and it wasn't really necessary. necessary. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was unnecessary except for like I suppose if uh, if there was like you know the whole issue of justice and and throwing on extra charges for the purpose of, of getting justice but but at what cost for the it, kids it would cost too much trauma for these children to have to yeah. go and recount their own stories you hear um, some testimony from the mother who uh, was told you know to to swear to Satan you hear her describing that story mm-hmm. and she's crying as she's describing it she's like extremely upset you can hear in her voice how upset she is describing it it's so it's so upsetting to hear it's so heartbreaking to hear yeah mm-hmm. um, um and yeah yeah and laurel says at one point she's like i have a cat and this actually occurred to me this morning actually i think um because i was i i watched I watched all the rest of the episodes yesterday and then I rewatched them this morning, but this stuck with me of like, I have a cat and sometimes um, I wake up in the middle of the night and the cat is staring over at, over me. And I think of what it must be like to be a mouse or a bird. And then I'm able to picture like what it would be like if Richard Ramirez was to attack me and like that animalistic. And I definitely felt that this morning when I woke up and like Leo had jumped on my head And I was like looking up at him and I'm like, yeah, like that would be fucking terrifying, like for you to wake up in the middle of the night. Like not that any of like, 
we I think that we can all agree everything about this would be terrifying but it is true like you you just have this person who is so evil and inhumane that he he doesn't even act like a human he acts more like an animal running on this like evil instinct Uh um and so uh we have Colleen she needs to leave as she's sitting in there um you know hearing them talk about her grandmother's case she needs to take a break she's sitting outside and sees this young boy around her age next to her and she's like oh like well thinking to herself like well why is he here like like did he get hurt by Ramirez too and then he she notices that he's got a pentagram tattooed on him and then she realizes that he's actually a fan of Ramirez and this is when my extra notes come in so um, there are there is a big difference between pentagrams and the sigil of Baphomet, I believe it's called. Um, so pentagrams is they constantly use the phrase pentagrams, but um, pentagrams itself is, as I did research from Wikipedia, um, is an ancient Greek and Babylonian um, symbol, and it's also more frequently known nowadays as the sign um, for Wiccans. Um, and it also is usually connected to the cross by Christians. Uh, the pentagram has magical associations. Many people who practice modern paganism and pagan faiths wear jewelry incorporating the symbol. Um, Christianity um, also kind of rep- uses it representing each point as the wounds on Jesus. So um, it's very often confused of like, what is the difference between um, a pentagram and then what is the sigil of Baphomet? The si- sigil of Baphomet is what uh, is more commonly associated with the Church of Satan. Um, and I did include a picture to help clear it up because there is a big difference. So um, the, the sigil of Baphomet is a, the, the point of the star. Um, Sorry, something happened with your microphone. It's like making weird. Are you touching it? Are you rubbing something against it? No. Okay. Am I good? Go again. Yeah. Okay. Um, So the sigil of Baphomet um, basically is a star, but turned on its side so that the, the, it basically looks like a goat with its two horns up. Yeah. It's like an upside down star. Like the point, the Mm -hmm. top of the star is facing the bottom. Versus the pentagram is where the, the star is pointing up um, towards, towards the sky, I guess. Um, so I did want to make that clear because if you do walk around and like the, people wear the sigil all the time, people have the sigil tattooed on them just because like this is so commonly associated with Satanism um, in a bad like animal sacrifice and Richard Ramirez specifically as well as the satanic panic and um what's his name Manson um just because people take a symbol doesn't mean that that's what the symbol is represented to to everybody else so I just wanted to make that very clear um because I wanted to be like okay well like yes the assumption is that 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 20 year old kid is probably there with that tattoo because of Ramirez but there are plenty of people I have seen who are not evil people but have this tattooed on them um, and it's not in the, in, like, it's not in the, the idea that Satan is, like, their ruling person. Um, anyways, so just want to clear that up. Uh, 
so we jump into September. <laughs> so we jump into September twentieth, nineteen eighty nine. So you know we're four years out of um, the murder spree. He's been in jail for a bit. It comes back that he's found guilty for forty three counts. I wrote courts, but it's supposed to be counts. <laughs> Um, and so then Gil talks about what we were just talking about earlier with, um, you know, he, the background that he came from and he came from almost, um, ending up, uh, you know, um, being a, a gang member and, uh, being on the streets and hi Leo and he ends His up. butthole is straight in my face. Oh my God, get away. Sorry. I have these flowers in a cup and it has water in it. And Leo keeps trying to drink the water out of the cup. <laughs> and he's, he's shattered my water glasses before because of it. And so he really wants. Get away. <laughs> I literally look like mother Mary right now. You look mother Mary, big daddy. Um, so yeah. <coughs> Leo, you're blocking my microphone. Leo. So where, where was I? Leo. <laughs> he's really, he's, I love him to death. He's really pissing me off right now. Okay, sorry. And um, cut. Cut. Um, so, okay, so September 20th, 1989, Richard Ramirez is found guilty on 43 counts. Um, Gil shares, as we mentioned before, that um, his uh, commonalities that he has with the background with Ramirez and how easily his life could have been very different. Um, mm -hmm. And so going through like being a young detective, being in wanting to be in homicide and then also like not being believed at first and then all of a sudden coming to the point where like this person has been brought to justice and the case can finally end. He has this moment where He's very sad. He can't share this proud moment with his father, which like I said, yeah. is a big like reflective experience comparative to Ramirez whose father yeah. uh, roped him to a gravestone. Yeah. So Gil, Gil feels like he owes a lot of his successes to his, the support of his parents, especially his dad. And he has this moment where he's just crying deeply upset and his wife already knows like you see his wife say like she already knew why he was going to be upset and she says to him you know your dad would have been so proud of you and um he's with you in this moment and he, he sees what you accomplished so on november 7th 1989 uh richard ramirez is officially sentenced to death by gas chamber and at his sentencing he was granted permission to speak um he i didn't include that though because he was just like rambling. we don't need to share yeah he rambles he goes on about his you know um, you don't understand I'm, me you'll never understand me like what i'm beyond good and evil that kind yeah, of thing fuck you um he ends it with i'll see you in disneyland and it's just you know for show it's showiness he's mm -hmm. again with his like sunglasses and his like shit you know acting like he's a big cool guy he asks uh frank and gil if they will go to um his execution and frank says yes i will um just to kind of uh symbolize an ending to this case and this this whole uh 
this whole era. Yeah. Um, While they're driving um, back, like as a backflash, um, flashback, <laughs> backflash, backflash, flashback um, to uh, San Francisco. Um, Richard Ramirez tells him that he was responsible for the murder of two elderly ladies on Telegraph Hill. Um, and so, uh, Frank from San Francisco, as well as Ramirez's lawyer, like even agree that you don't just all of a sudden start murdering in, um, June and that there's this large portion of time between March and June that he must have killed other people and that they, they just haven't been able to connect um, him to those murders. Uh, yep. so Richard speaks in 1994 to a reporter and says, are serial killers created or born? Um, and then has this like weird moment where like, he wants like the tapes destroyed, but I'm like, for such a showy person, like I, I would assume kind of like Ted Bundy, where he'd be like, I want everybody to know what I've yeah. said. And blah, blah, like blah, I blah, want blah. my legacy to live on, but yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. So then June 7th, 2013, Richard Ramirez dies in prison of cancer. Drip. Yep. Um, don't rest in peach, bitch. Don't uh, rest in peace, drip, motherfucker. Um, uh, and, and so Laurel kind of goes on to say that, um, <laughs> I mean, sorry, Leo just walked across the microphone. Um, Laurel says that, um, you know, he was given more mercy in death than he gave his own victims because he was supposed to spend like more than the two decades he had spent in this little box. Um, he he kind of got the easy way out. Um, and then do you want to finish up with what Anastasia says? Yes. Yeah, so Anastasia then goes on to talk about... Um, you know, how she feels reflecting on uh, being a survivor of an attack. And she kind of says that she says, you know, horrible things have happened to me, but I'm not going to let that turn me into him or into what he was, what mm -hmm. he represented. So kind of that she is going to <clears throat> uh, break the cycle mm -hmm. and um, that she's going to show that she's, stronger than what happened to her kind of thing and, and I think it's really I think uh, honestly like huge props to her for speaking about this mm. huge props to her for being a part of this documentary and I think she's a very admirable person um and seems very like it's very brave of her to speak about something so traumatic happening to you it's, yeah she just so definitely true. seems like a very like powerful and open woman um mm -hmm. and a real uh she she has like this like air of calm to her um mm -hmm. and yeah so we have that moment and then Gil shares that he has like prayers that he does where he says all the names of the people involved in this case and he always ends with Ramirez too because I think that he also thinks that that Ramirez is a product of the environment he was raised in almost of like um that like like had been said earlier like everything that could poison a child like Happened was to. there um and by not having that support and love that maybe Gil was given um that yeah. this just continued to fuel the fire that may not have been there may have been there and kind of goes back to what Richard Ramirez said himself like 
are serial killers created or like are they born that way mm-hmm. you know and it's and it's a question that I think that we'll we'll never fully we'll never fully understand um and I think that a lot of people ask that same question and I think that that's also partly why people like true crime just as much as we do is like it's either like a preventative case of like you don't want something to happen to you and you want to like kind of train that gut to recognize those red flag moments um or you're trying to analyze of well what are the key factors what are the ingredients that create a bad person and how can we prevent um, future people and generations from that happening by, you know, giving the love, the support, the resources necessary to um, create good people and to uh, prevent them from going through these horrible, horrible situations. And I'm very far away from the microphone. I hope that you could hear me. Um, uh, you sound just the same, actually, oh, okay. <laughs> to me, at least. Okay. But- uh yeah so and that with that we end our night stalker series uh that was a crazy one mm-hmm. really really enjoyed watching it really enjoyed i thought it was very well made um well told stories um great some, it, was well it was very well put together as anna just said mm-hmm. some some great uh accounts from witnesses uh survivors um that were put in there that really give you a, a sense of just the sense of fear that was in um, the area at the time. I think I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked it. Yeah. I also really liked it. And I think that it was very, um, like you said, informative. I, I hadn't like, obviously I think anybody can recognize Richard Ramirez, but I don't think that everybody knows the just amount of chaos that he caused. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as the, I don't know, like the, like the little things, like the, I, I thought it was interesting. I think that we should talk more about how the fact that Richard Ramirez was brought down by the public. Um, and, uh, I think that that is an interesting piece that we don't talk all that much about because I can't think of any other situation yet been like a citizen's arrest of yeah yeah literally that like instead we have you know the yorkshire yorkshire ripper where it's like literally the most basic element of a police job is done and they catch him by sheer dumb luck and then you know you have like the the golden state killer slash the original night stalker who's caught decades later because one of his family members turns in their dna like, you know, it's just this super weird, almost literally like kind of ironic where like the stars aligned for him to get caught by these people in this specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the justice that was brought a, a, upon because of it. Um, and don't get me wrong, like there, there were definitely errors within, within this, this case. Um, not as many as obviously the Yorkshire Ripper, but, (laughs) but it's just crazy how easily cases can just go unsolved and, uh, further chaos can ensue if jobs are not done correctly. Yeah. And I also think it's important to recognize that, um, there is still so many deep flaws within the justice system in Mm -hmm. our country 
and um, you know you see it with San Francisco casually mentioning him beating the shit out of a guy and it's like what if that guy actually had nothing to do with it you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. what if that guy actually didn't know his last name or whatever like um yeah yeah it's still important to recognize that there's um extreme flaws within our justice system extreme flaws there are people that walk away from crimes that they committed um and there are people that get put away for life for things they didn't do and so it's really fucked up to um you know we can see in this case that there were there were some very dedicated people that worked really hard and we can give props to those people but as a whole the justice system is deeply flawed in our country deeply ingrained in uh, systemic racism and uh just perpetuating violence towards people and it's extremely fucked up and it's important to remember that um yeah it's all, and it and it's like you said it's all fear based because if san francisco sorry just it's funny every time we say that but if if he wasn't so scared of like this person um that was running around doing all these horrible things and all the horrible things that could ensue further then he wouldn't have done taken things to such extreme measures if the mayor uh, of San Francisco, um, Wein- not Weinstein, oh my God, Feinstein, Feinstein, Feinstein sorry, um, if you know she wasn't so scared of what could happen if she didn't uh, share information correctly, then maybe they would have caught him faster. Like yeah. there, there's a lot everything that encompasses this the justice system is fear inducing of if we don't put somebody away then we're going to be persecuted for not doing something correctly um you know for fear that someone else could get raped or murdered or killed um so yeah like i i think it there's there's a long way we have to go um no matter what the situation of a better social justice um and justice system in general no matter where you are in the world because as we see you know other countries are not better Uh, yeah other countries are the same not not that they're i mean i mean we are definitely fucked on a certain scale for america but um (laughs) but we're not the only ones that have uh growth that should occur um but anyways thank you guys so much for listening to this lovely episode um, have any ho- vibes? Pause vibes. Um, like I said, um, my sister is my Valentine, and I'm gonna go and see her tomorrow. Um, fun. Yeah, I uh, I bought her. Um, I was in the store yesterday and saw she's a big One Direction fan from like back in the day. Um, and uh, I found that this uh the store was selling the One Direction perfume. Um, so I bought her One Direction perfume because she loves perfume. She's always drenched in perfume. Um, so <laughs> I bought her that and then I got her like Ferrero Rocher because she loves Ferrero Rocher. Nice. Um, that's a mouthful. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to being able to give that to her, especially because I can say it in the podcast because uh, this won't come out until after I've given it to her. So um, <laughs> But yeah, other than that, probably just uh, being a lazy butthead for the rest of the day. Um, what about you? What are your positive vibes? Um, yeah, positive vibes also uh, have a great date planned tomorrow for Anna and I. We're going to go to um, the 
tramway to Roosevelt Island, which Ooh. goes over the city. Um, Is it the little, um, like, almost like ski lodge? Yeah. Yeah, okay, and cool. you go inside of it, and it and it goes over the city, um, and it's supposed to have a good view of the city. So we're gonna do that, which will be nice and romantic, and then uh, get some takeout and enjoy our takeout together. And uh, mm-hmm. it's gonna be it's gonna be a nice time. I'm really every happy. every time I think of those, I think of um, impractical jokesters when they like one of their punishments was that they made uh, one of them like lay on the hood outside of it. You gotta look it up. But he's like, he's dressed up like a superhero and he's strapped to the top of it and he's just freaking out the whole time. Um, But every time I I think of um, that uh, ski lift looking thing, uh, um, I think of that now. Excellent, amazing. I'll have to show you, I'll send you a video later. It's very funny. Okay, so yeah. uh you should be sure to follow us on our social media we are on instagram at caffeinated crime pod and on twitter at cwc pod please give us a follow um tag us in a post if you tag three friends Mm -hmm. then you can be entered in a drawing to win a 25 dollars gift card to the coffee shop of your choice Yep. And then also don't forget to, you can email us any recommendations of uh, TV shows or movies that you want to see us cover um, via true crime. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking about our next week's episode, but I'm going to have Aaron do that as a teaser, even <laughs> though Abby knows what I've already watched. Um, but uh, follow us on, uh, not follow us, sorry. Yes, follow us, but email us suggestions at crimeswellcaffeinated at gmail.com as well. Um, and yeah, thank you guys so much for listening as always. And Abby, don't forget to take, take your, your meds. meds. Take your meds. Bye, All guys. Right. Bye.